2: UK Tech Weekly Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the UK Tech Weekly Podcast, the UK's premier audio block vote, spreading audio fear and audio loathing every Friday. The UK Tech Weekly Podcast is an infotainment hanging chat from the editors of PC Advisor, Tech World, Mac World UK and Computer World UK. You can find us on Acast, on SoundCloud, on iTunes and plenty of other places. Every Friday we head to an audio hustings, making a series of ill-thought-out audio promises, making impossible audio pledges to disparate audio special interest groups in order to bring you no more than 40 minutes of informed tech chat on the hot tech topics of the past seven Seven days. days. Do not forget to subscribe, review, and tell your friends. I'm Matt Egan, Editorial Director of IDG UK, and today I'm delighted to be joined in conversation by the President of Podcasts, Chris Martin, Consumer Tech Editor of PC Advisor. All right. The Leader of the House of Chats, Christopher Manassians, the Staff Writer of Macworld UK. Hello, and the defeated and subsequently unheard of vice presidential candidate Scott Carey, online editor of Tech World. Hello. This week we are talking Donald Daydreams and the bank where every little helps. Everything will be fine in the end, and if it isn't fine now, it just means it's not the end. Don't you forget about me? Don, 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 don don't you. <laughs> Forget about me, Christopher Manassians. Yes. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or it's not. It's a brave new dawn. What the hell's going on in the States, and what does it mean for tech?
3: Well, as some of you might know, Donald Trump was being elected as the president of the US. What? United States. <laughs> nice thinking, <that. laughs> man. Um, but yeah, so. It's, it's actually raised a lot of questions in terms of political views, but it's actually quite interesting in terms of a tech point of view. Sure. Uh, what happens with the tech industry with Donald Trump at the head of, well head of the the chair show cell in the US uh, controlling of the free world let's say uh, head of the free, free world. world in inverse cars yeah um <laughs> and yeah it, it's just really intriguing because we've got silicon valley and that's some of the biggest companies in the world are over there and more specifically at least in terms of like a mac perspective for me it's going to be apple um or even you, know, you could put in amazon um so what what do we know about what Donald
2: Trump's policies or views <laughs> are on tech <laughs> And what how much impact does
3: that actually have I'm on tech? So the the good question is what policies? That that is the major question because um Donald Trump doesn't actually have any firm policies on it, but he has mentioned uh, certain things that uh, do raise questions for U.S.-based companies who trade on an international level. Um, more specifically, he is um, against the H-1B visa, uh, which essentially allows people to work in the U.S. Uh, for U.S.-based companies, but international um, internationally based essentially he wants to make america great again and therefore wants people to be employing um u.s based citizens so not... do we know are, are there a lot uh, so you're
2: talking about foreign nationals working for u.s tech companies in yeah. the u.s exactly exactly uh, that. Uh, off the top of my head i can immediately think of a few people i know who are in that situation so are there a lot of
3: these people i, I don't know in terms of the numbers like in terms of the, how many millions or i don't know no. how many people are there but
4: but I mean like if you go to any tech event yeah. the first thing they always say is how um difficult it is to find talented skilled technical mm. staff and how they d- generally have to look abroad and you I mean you don't you don't have to look past the CEO level of Silicon Valley Sundar. to see people that are um not US born um Sundar, or Google, yeah. um uh, Satya Nadella was born in India the CEO of Microsoft um the uh
2: well, India produces the best techies in the world now, Yeah,
4: <laughs> and um, the uh, founder of WhatsApp was um, born and raised in Soviet Ukraine. Is
2: uh, Sundar... Is he a US national? Because Satya is, isn't he, now?
4: Yeah, um, I'm not sure about Sundar, actually. Okay. Um, I'm sure but at this point he is. I mean, is
2: the suggestion that... I mean, is the suggestion that these people will not be welcome in the US anymore? Or is it just that people...
3: They won't be able to be recruited into the US? It's going to be much harder. Like, when I was... Um, you if you look in terms, in terms of like working in the in the US, you already first need sponsorship as it is yeah. from so, a company So or... if
2: say for instance any of us was to go work in our US office, which does happen, uh, as long as the I D G our, our employer put uh, sponsor us, it's actually pretty trivial to do.
3: Exactly. Because yeah.
2: of a bilateral agreement with the UK and the US. Exactly, but yeah, I think this is more be...
4: for hiring sort of external right skilled sort of coders or developers. Yeah. So um the, the, the Eastern European bloc produces lots of really really talented coders um, in uh, historically and and Russia and and getting those sort of people into the US on like a lower level um, will be extremely difficult because yeah. um, you can't sponsor them in um, in, in that way. So um, Donald Trump has said that he wants you know these companies to uh, hire more US um, citizens for these roles, but uh, as most people in the tech industry know that. It's not as simple as that. They just aren't. That's fascinating, isn't it?
2: Because I I was thinking this the other day, walking around our own fair streets. um, You know, education in this country is actually a massive revenue generator from an economic Mm -hmm. point of view. So the number of foreign students within Stone's for of the office we're sitting in right now is huge, Mm. and they're subsidising high level education in subjects like technology for UK. People because they're paying to come into our country, and the same is true in the U.S. on a massive scale. Yeah. So I I just wonder how this would impact on that as well, because you know, for people like Sundar Pichai, 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 the you know his life story is incredible. But he was the guy who was the best in his class, which meant that he got to go to university. Which and then he was the best in his university class, which then meant he got to go to the states to study. And then because he was the best of the best of the best, he got to be the CEO of Google.
4: Yeah, and Sachin you know, that life story is extremely similar. He did that he did a very similar thing where he was educated in the US and and worked his way up because he was just so talented. These
2: people went to education in the US because they felt they could get a job in the yeah. US at the end yeah. of it. So, what what about so that's that's the kind of employment side of it and it'd be interesting to see whether the president actually can do anything like that because there's lots of checks and balances in place. What about technology in general? Is there any suggestion of um,
3: lawmaking around the use of tech? Or well, the, the, for me, actually, the interesting thing is it comes down to, to well, in terms of consumer point of view, it comes down to price. So right. Right, if you've got a higher, well, if you've got more expensive workforce, not naturally your produce. Fortunately, whatever, the dollar be is plummeting to... off a cliff. So it is indeed, but that, <laughs> it still does raise the question: as in, does that mean Apple can? not should i say no longer manufacture things in china but does it mean it has to bring more things back into the u.s does it have to um even though it's got loads of uh should I say intellectual property in the u.s mm. does that mean its production has to come to the u.s one, or a certain bit of it has yeah. to come to the u.s
4: one of the few things that trump has been outright on when it comes to technology is um apple he has specifically yeah. gone after apple and said that they should be producing their products in the United States. Um, and it's not just labor, it's also the cost of, um, the, uh, of importing. the so you'd have to ship in raw materials. You'd have to ship in raw materials and then, and then build it. And I think I saw the other day that a low-ball estimate is that a completely US-made iPhone would cost an extra $100. Yeah. Um, and it's already a pretty expensive piece. It's
2: interesting, isn't it? Because Apple itself plays this game. Because if you're in the States uh, and they're advertising things like iPads, they the ads at the end of it always say... Designed in California, yeah. um, or and they have made play in the past of assembling bits of products in California. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it's funny, if you go to Canada, the Budweiser adverts are the same but the opposite, so it says brood in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a big buying decision. Yeah. Like at the end of the Carlsberg ads where they say the Danes hate to see it go <laughs>
2: brood
3: in Northampton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But yeah, it does raise the question. It does It does bring a lot of interesting points Um more for the consumer point and even for the the business point of view like business to business relations how they're going to change does let's say I don't know if still if they still do let's say Samsung are providing parts to Apple mm. are they going to have to ship them over to the US I mean the thing is I think his term is four years, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, how much change can he actually implement to these companies? Not in a great four deal, years?
2: typically. I mean, because the because Republicans have both houses. Yeah. Certainly, in terms of fiscal policy, they can do a lot of stuff. So that'll be interesting. They could, you know, taxes can be cut and things like that. Yeah.
4: Um, he will come out of NAFTA as well, won't he? Yeah, I would think so. Um, which will have an impact on. Um, Uh, foreign phone makers um, in terms of selling into the US market, because he's already said that he wants to put a 45% tariff on any imported Chinese goods. So the likes of Huawei are probably not excited about that.
3: Exactly.
2: We'll see how that goes, though, because China has a lot of uh, interest in the States and the US has a lot of Chinese debt. So Mm. how easy it will be for him to do that?
3: He doesn't understand it, to be honest. He doesn't really know about it. He just says, let's just do this. doesn't really think about it.
4: Mm. He'll try Uh, his best.
2: What about (laughs) the uh, the big beasts of Silicon Valley? How are they reacting to this uh, result? Because it is, you know, it is a, uh, whether you like or dislike Donald Trump, it is a shaking up of the political norms.
4: Yeah, they're really sad. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, like the whole of the West Coast was um, yeah. yeah for Hillary, right? Yeah, yeah, so. California. Uh, yeah. Well, both coasts were overwhelmingly Democrat. Yeah, both. Um, but no, they are. They're they're really sad about it. <laughs> um, a few people have like collated Silicon Valley tweets um in response, um, and a lot of them will sort of wrap it up in a we push forward and you know we're positive and we will implement change and yada yada. Um, but in general, yeah, I mean they're they're pretty down on the whole thing. Um, having sort of someone going from someone who's so pro innovation, so smart, so um, engaged with the tech community as a barmer to someone who doesn't understand technology in any way, it, it has to be a bit of a downer. Mm. He's gonna probably get
5: his like his his son like ten years old. Yeah, he, he blows my know, mind. The other he's gonna <laughs> get <laughs> he's gonna get advice on uh, tech and cyber from him. It seems. Yeah, cybersecurity. <laughs> he's, he's got and a and... laptop. <laughs> and he, he knows how to use it, yeah, the New York
4: Times said it's like talking to your tech illiterate grandfather um yeah. which is which is pretty apt doesn't um, he doesn't he think that the u s invented the internet or... yeah I think <laughs> he said that
2: yeah,
5: he said we made the internet, yeah and and we're getting beaten at it <laughs>
2: they were they were involved in making the internet,
4: yeah, um in terms of sort of actual sort of silicon valley heads um a, Uh, P. Chai, as we said earlier, has been outspoken um, against Trump. So has Benioff at Salesforce. Um, And then uh, Zuckerberg's a really funny one because his lead investor, Peter Thiel, is like the only person in Silicon Valley who has been supportive of Trump. So he has to kind of be a little bit careful. And then the really interesting one is Jeff Bezos at um, Amazon because they have quite a public beef because Bezos um, owns the Washington Post. Which, yep. um, have investigated Trump's tax, um, and things like that. So they've been, um, going head to head. And the way that Trump will try and get at Bezos will be with corporation tax. Yep. It'll be really interesting to see if he starts trying to get the Googles, the Apples and the Amazons to pay more than the 0.1% corporation tax they pay at the moment.
2: Well that wouldn't be a terrible thing, would it?
4: Absolutely not. I mean if there is a silver lining it would be nice to see them actually go a bit harder on that.
2: Interesting personality clash that because Bezos is the anti Trump in that he's all business and no flash. Yeah. You know, their offices are famously uh run down and and cheap and it's all about building a a business that makes margins rather than showing um, power and wealth and success. Yeah. Whereas Trump has successfully ruined several businesses but manages to sort of maintain a profile which actually in its own way in a country like the States does keep you afloat.
4: Well, yeah, he flights around in a literal gold plane. (laughs) So he doesn't get much more on the nose than that. Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, Final question. Um, Are there... Do we know... Are there any sort of privacy issues around this? The US is... Pretty uh, much, as a government, it's in the pockets of its uh, subject citizens. Sorry, those citizens, they were subjects. Um, and But yet, Trump would sort of position himself as a libertarian, but I can't help but feel he probably would quite like to have lots of data on his citizens.
4: Snowden's comment on this is genuinely one of the more terrifying things I've ever heard, <laughs> is when he said, um, basically, any president that comes in... Um, has the ability to quite easily get access to everything the NSA has on people, and he called it a turnkey tyranny, right? Which terrifies me. Um, well, the good news is that uh, we
2: are uh, even worse than the states. So mm-hmm. uh, you know,
4: yeah. I mean, um, we'll get onto that with the, with the breach. And I, for one, welcome our new leader. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Good. Okay, let's quickly go around the room. Uh, You've been trumped or take a ticket to Trumpton. Scott Carey. You've been trumped. Christopher Manassio. You've been trumped. Chris Martin.
5: You've been trumped.
2: That is a fairly clear... Take that, Donald. We managed to keep
4: that quite polite,
2: actually. Yeah, and techie. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, that's good. All right, we'll take a short gap, and when we come back, we'll talk about something much
6: happier.
2: Cheer up, Chris Martin. Oh, what could it mean to a daydream believer and a homecoming queen? Chris Martin, are you a daydream believer? I am. And Excellent. I'll
5: tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> this is great podcasting. So this week, Google has launched its new VR headset. Um, and it's kind of an evolution of the cardboard yeah. one, which was just made of cardboard. Um, and so it's one that you put your phone in. It's not like the HTC Vive so or like the
2: Samsung uh, VR. I yeah. Was.
5: Similar to the Samsung VR. Probably that's its closest rival. Um, so that, that, that one you put your Samsung phone in, obviously. Um, and this new one you can put, um, lots of phones in, or you will be able to anyway. So it's, it's a more, um, finished headset if that's the right word yeah. it's more of a kind of
2: because cardboard was like willfully heath robinson wasn't it yeah you, could, you, you cut it out and... yeah and it had velcro on it and yeah.
5: and um, it was all a bit basic but that was kind of the idea and even, this is
4: even the samsung one where you can like see the phone on the front looks quite basic so they've kind of covered yeah. it up on
5: you this can cover there. it up on the samsung it's got like a plastic oh, cover okay. that clips on over. but yeah you, i think you can just about see the phone through yeah. that um so this one's it looks really nice. It's um it's made of fabric or it's got a fabric coating anyway. Um and it's it's, it's got a plastic core so it's nice and light. Uh it comes in some really nice colors. Um and you slot your phone in the front. Um but it's not got quite the support of the cardboard yet because you need a daydream uh compatible phone and there are basically only two at the moment and that would be Google's own Pixel phones. Yeah. So they're the only ones that will work with it at the moment, but there are lots more coming.
2: So you've got a Google Pixel phone, say, let's just imagine that. Yeah. How much does the Daydream then cost you?
5: The actual headset is only sixty nine quid. Okay. Uh, and it came out yesterday, um, so obviously that's that's pretty cheap compared yeah. to something like the Vive, which is yeah, like yeah. six hundred, you know, over how, six hundred how pounds.
2: It, uh, compare in terms of content or games or.
5: Um, So the content is a lot less at the moment. Um, I'm not sure why you can't use... I don't think you can use anything that you could use on cardboard. You can't just use on Daydream. Right, It's a different app. It's a different set of content. So Um, they're
2: relying on games makers or experience makers creating uh, content specifically for Daydream? Yeah, I think so. You can do 3D YouTube.
5: Yeah, you can do YouTube. Um I think there's Netflix or if that's that's coming at least. Um yeah. it, there's there's a few little kind of mini games and stuff at the moment. Um I mean I've only we've got a review sample but it only arrived yesterday and I wasn't here. So I haven't actually used it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually used it properly since the Google event yeah. um which I just had a quick go on lots of different things. Um one of the main things people will be excited about is the fantastic beasts Right. Experience, which they've, you know, teamed up with JK, um, rolling for. Um, very important. Is to say cool rolling in...
2: there, in case people thought it was JK from Jumerical. Yeah. Which a very different experience. <laughs> yeah,
5: that would be an interesting one. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, there's just a Pixel and the Pixel XL that you can use with the headset. Um, but they did say that there would be at least some more by the end of the year, Okay, including Huawei. But they uh, Huawei just launched the Mate 9. Right, which they didn't mention anything about daydream yeah. support, so that was a bit weird. But hopefully, there'll be some more soon. I but missed the chance to make a virtual insanity
2: joke there. You did, you <laughs> <certainly> did. Uh, <laughs> we've, done, we've, <laughs> we've done that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this is interesting because you kind of feel like they would need. If this is going to be mass market, maybe that's not the intention, but it would need uh, the support of people who make experiences and games which in return probably needs a lot of people to have the device, which needs a lot of phones to be compatible with the device. Yeah. What's Google hoping to achieve here?
5: I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> um, I guess we'll find out. But, yeah, the, the lack of support is a bit of an issue when you could basically use anything in Cardboard. Yeah. Um, but you've got to have a Daydream-compatible phone. I don't even know what the requirements are for a Daydream-compatible phone. I mean, it connects... It's a, um, Obviously it's using the phone but it connects to the headset wirelessly right so yeah um and via nfc so when you it, it's quite a nice experience because when you slot it in the front and and put the front back on to hold the phone in it all just automatically does everything because the nfc chip detects that the phone's there launches the daydream app so when you you know by the time you get around to putting the headset on it's all there ready to right. go um so you don't need to like faff around opening the app then putting the phone in and and stuff um and the, one of the major differences compared to like the Gear VR or a lot of other headsets is that it comes with a controller which is a, which is wireless. So it's just like a tiny little T V remote. And that's kinda of like a Wii remote, so it's got, you know, motion sensors and, okay. and gyroscope. So you can uh it you know, it gives you a mouse pointer in the you know, in the in the app and it just makes it a lot easier to use because uh, 'cause you've got that in you don't have to look at something for a length of time to so that it knows you're trying to load that thing. Yeah. Uh and in like in in stuff like Fantastic Beasts it's your wand, so it just kinda gives you that really nice Sounds pretty cool. VR experience. And, and it almost
2: sounds a bit sort of we like in the sense that yeah. maybe this is the kind of um more accessible, uh, more kind of social I w I don't want to say lower because that's pejorative, but but let's say lower end of the market kind yeah. of um, fun games rather than um, hardcore serious gaming.
5: Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's much more casual than the the Vive or the the PlayStation yeah. VR, which is and you priced
2: know. as such. I guess. Yeah.
4: Okay. It does sound like a bit of a wait and see at this point. I don't think I'm rushing out to buy it because um, you never know if the price is going to come down as it sort of improves.
2: Well, you never know Google as well because it, because the nature of Google's kind of everything's a beta. Approach is they do occasionally throw these things out. Like sometimes with the, like we talked about this the other week with the Nexus phones, it was to make a market for Android, and it works. But then we don't really understand why they're making the Pixel phone now. Sort of doesn't make any sense. And then they throw this out. It could be that Google really intends because it's Google's talked often in the past about AR being hugely important to it. So maybe it's part of that that they're trying to build this kind of mass of people who are looking at Google devices and seeing the world through them. Or maybe it's just a thing that someone made and they think it's quite cool. So they've stuck it out there just to see what
3: happens. Yeah. The, the thing for me is that when do people actually use that? So I've got a headset myself. It's just like one of those cardboard-esque yeah. ones, except it's just like a full plastic one. It was super cheap, came on Amazon. Um, but I've hardly used it. It's just sat under my bed yeah. the most most of the time. Because you think of when are people actually going to put their phone in to their VR headset in order to watch VR content, which is already few and far between, in my opinion, even on YouTube. Like, even cardboard 3D 360 videos on YouTube are actually quite rare to find. Not rare, but they're not that common. Um, I'm just trying to think. Like, someone gets home, puts this headset mm. on, and then sits in their room looking at a video or playing one game or two yeah. games on a single phone it just and then, and then on top of that you've got the price which is what well, as you said like what 60 70 quid it just doesn't make sense to me like why would why would someone do that it needs a content spot,
2: doesn't it it needs yeah not only it needs, needs a
3: compelling game say or yeah. two it it needs something that will actually drive people to do it because as far as i can see like the five um and the oculus they've got their market those are the hardcore gamers that really want to play and they got well, to set up a room for and it and the playstation and the playstation VR yeah
2: has got PlayStation users, and as we've discussed previously, although it's not cheap, it's a uh, it's a relatively affordable extension if you're a PlayStation gamer. Yep, exactly. Whereas this is kind of.
5: I think yeah. The, I think the Daydream View is kind of aimed at people interested in VR, maybe never used it before, mm. and just are intrigued as to what it's like, and if they've got a Pixel phone or eventually a phone that happens to be Daydream capable. 69 quid isn't that much yeah, to spend on. It's not an outrageous
2: amount of money, is it? And
5: it's a nice looking product, so you, you're yeah. getting quite good value there.
2: And there are strategic goals for Google there because if it means people are consuming VR content from YouTube, that's a good thing for Google. Yeah. And as I say, they have talked often over a period of many years about augmented reality and how that's kind of the future of search. And they want you basically to be walking down the road looking for one of these headsets, mm, yeah. um, ordering coffees with your eyes. A weird dystopian future world. <laughs> I
5: mean, whether or not people then use them, like you say, like you know, a lot or every day or you know, I don't know. It is a bit of a novelty still, I think. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it hinges a lot on the content, as we've already said. So
2: wait and I see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, let's go around the room. Uh, I'll see you in my daydreams or in space. No one can hear you daydream. <laughs> Scott Carey.
4: In space, no one can hear you daydream.
2: Christopher Manassio. Let's <laughs> go gravity. Okay. Chris
4: Martin. I'll see you in my daydreams.
2: Lovely that, stuff. That lovely. The first one? Yeah, yeah I, like, I like a split vote. Cool. Uh, not all split votes. <laughs> 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 we'll take a very short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Tesco Bank. Thank you very much for the Aintree and Thank you very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Scott Carey, why would we be better off carrying our money around in stripy plastic bags?
4: <laughs> it's a very good question. Um, Tesco Bank, the bank from everyone's favourite supermarket, uh, was subject to a huge breach of security this week. Um, it, the biggest of any bank in the UK um, and also it, it's pretty much on the same scale as the huge talk TalkTalk um, customer breach um, which happened last year um, so yeah essentially you, you would have been better off just putting your money under your mattress. So
2: is, is Tesco Bank an actual thing or is it a white labelled version of another bank?
4: No so it was it was a 50-50 venture between RBS and Tesco right. the supermarket chain um, back in 97 but then Tesco um, bought out RBS um, after the financial crash right? Um, so it is um, wholly a part of Tesco PLC, it's just another of their many revenue streams um, And how,
2: how, do we know how this happened? Is it something they did wrong? Or?
4: So not yet um, Many sort of security experts are saying that a breach of this scale means that it probably has to have come somewhere from an internal Ooh. Issue dun, dun, or dun. a breach via their mobile application, which is less secure. Right. Um. But this is this is a really nice early challenge for the new National Cybersecurity Centre, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, which has been set up. Um, this will be their first big sort of project, and what they'll do is they'll work with Tesco Bank to work out where the breach came from. Um, they will go after anyone responsible and try and um, prosecute. Um, so hope and their their new thing is to be really, really open about this sort of thing. So hopefully we'll as a public we'll find, out. find out and then they'll try and ease concerns around this because this has huge implications for any bank that isn't the big four. Right. Um because just natural lack of trust here. Like yeah, it, of course. switching over to a bank like Tesco Bank requires a little bit of a leap of faith. Um and then when you have to worry about them not being as secure as the banks that have you know millions and millions to throw at this. Uh, that that has to be so, a huge so what, How
2: So, if I if I was a Tesco Bank customer, what would I have
4: experienced? Or if... So, it was only a small amount of the actual customers which had money taken from them. So, I think the breach was something like one hundred and thirty current, one hundred thirty thousand current accounts were breached, but only nine thousand accounts had money taken out. But of those 9,000 accounts, 2.5 million pounds were stolen. Bloody um, hell. Tesco immediately, <laughs> Tesco Bank immediately reimbursed all 9,000 of those customers. Right. Naturally. So is that
2: going to cost Tesco 2.5 and and million quid? That's going to
4: cost them 2.5 million quid. Unless they can somehow manage to claw it back, which they generally don't. Um, Money spilled
2: in aisle seven. Money spilled in <laughs> aisle seven.
4: What is really troubling for Tesco Bank is that um the uh, GDPR, now really comes down heavily on anyone that gets breached in this way, yeah. And they are currently looking down the barrel of a two billion pound fine for this data breach. Considering that Tesco Bank only makes one billion in revenue every year, so, that could floor. Could them. finish it off, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, basically, I think Tesco would have to at some point decide whether they want to close it or, or give it or, away to
2: another bank. I suppose. Yeah,
4: or try and use their other revenues to. Dig it out, but mm. I'm I'm not sure at this point with the lack of trust and and the reputational damage that it's it's a venture that they'll they'll sort of go forward with.
2: Wow. So if I'm a customer of Tesco Bank, should I be doing anything
4: right now? Uh, if I was a customer of Tesco Bank, I'd probably switch. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, since just... you say that, though, because it's unlikely they're going to get done twice, isn't it? I mean, you would think that they would. If any, I don't know. This is probably me just being an optimist, but. If you, if you're, you know, it's like if someone makes a mistake that costs you a million pounds, you just paid a million pounds to learn and learn a lesson. And, mm. um, I don't know.
4: You, yeah. yeah, you would think that, and obviously they will be in the, the behind the scenes. They'll be doing absolutely everything they can to try and um, patch this up and to try and secure themselves in the future. Mm. The problem is um, that. Sort of cyber security isn't that simple, yeah. And um, you patch one thing, but there's there, there are still you're still sort of addled with, with vulnerabilities. Just get a copy
1: of Norton, lads. Come on, <laughs>
4: so I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the cyber security center reacts yeah. and if it, if it gives them some advice. Um, but I, I think it's the it's the trust issue here, like, if I was. With Tesco Bank, it's going to cost me nothing to switch my account. I think I'd just switch. Yeah,
2: well, and the other banks will be sniffing around, won't they? Absolutely. So, is this a new bank, old bank thing? Can we can we trust the new banks?
4: I think that absolutely not. Like the 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 old banks are no more secure than the new banks just because they've got more money to throw at cyber security. Um, the, the problem is that the, the changing landscape of cybersecurity means that they've got these big sort of firewalls up, mm. but they've got you know huge amounts of legacy infrastructure. They've got mobile applications, legacy
2: code all over the place, all
4: right? over the place. So they they are all addled with vulnerabilities. It's just the big banks have slightly more resource to try and like, they've got that big old
2: scary looking horse as well, haven't they? Which would scare off. They have, uh, which would scare off
4: sort of physical. combatants um but no i think and i think the real challenger banks the real digital first guys like the atom banks or the monzo banks they they know how important this is um for them they know that if they were to have a breach that would pretty much floor them overnight well and and i suppose unlike
2: as you described tesco which was kind of uh hived off from rbs mm. those those guys are building their banks from the ground up so they're building their tech from the ground up. we discussed yeah. this before didn't we they, yeah. they're like one of them i think maybe it was mondo has actually bought off the peg software but atom. the other
4: way so atom bought off the peg right. monzo bought, built theirs from the ground up yeah but
2: either way it's sort of starting with a clean secure system
4: yeah you make sure that everything you build is as secure as possible for like modern attacks mm. Whereas um, the other guys are generally trying to sort of patch up the airplane
3: while it's in the air. There's just one thing though, you're just saying about if it would happen again and would you be, would you keep your money in Tesco bank? Hackers are out there to prove a point often. Mm -hmm. Like with PlayStation, I think they hacked it several times and Xbox and they did it several times just because they're like, you still haven't patched it up. They see a vulnerability and they go after it. That's exactly what they do. Exactly. So it'd be interesting to see if, if, Tesco, as you said, would survive, but you let alone these other banks. Yeah. If, if they'll now be going after other banks going, oh, these guys got hacked and other big hacker groups come across and go, we can do that too. We want to prove a point too. It's
2: an interesting um, point in terms of where finance and government meet as well, going back to the original conversation is, you know, where where does responsibility lie as well? And this is the sort of thing that's very difficult for governments to regulate because they don't understand it.
4: Yeah. Start. Um and the, they sort of bring down these huge draconian fines to mm-hmm. try and force the banks to take this sort of stuff really seriously. Um but I still don't think they, they really are um I I think the telco's got a real big sort of shot in the arm with the talk thing and they realise that they had yeah. to, to bulk up and this might do the same thing for a lot of the smaller banks. They might think, Okay, we really have to do something about this now.
2: Well yeah, because I mean one of the it was a it was a small part of it, but one of the one of the things that happened that led us into the financial crisis of 2007-2008 was that it was cheaper for banks giving credit to just not worry about security to an mm. extent uh, and certainly to not worry about knowing the identity of the people to whom they were giving credit because they were making so much money it was the, the the real sort of metric of success was how quickly can we get credit to a person yeah rather than how secure are
4: we well yeah two and a half million wouldn't have worried them a huge amount oh. It's it's the reputational damage and now mm-hmm. the fines that really Put them off
2: hmm okay Uh. interesting times let's quickly go around the room then thank you very much or what a bunch of bankers Scott Carey <laughs> what a bunch of bankers Chris Mnettians what a bunch of bankers Chris <laughs> Martin what a bunch of bankers that's very much a consensus on Tesco Bank being a bunch of bankers. Thank you for listening to this edition of the UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Uh, do get in touch to let us know your thoughts and opinions and to shake us down for cash, or indeed if you are interested in advertising. You can tweet us at UK Tech Podcast or email editor at idg.co.uk. And we will be back next week, presuming the world still exists, with more informed opinion on the hottest topics in tech. So until then, don't forget to subscribe, review us and tell your friends. Uh, and until then... <laughs>
0: Say goodbye, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-Free Listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.